right. I should remember a couple of last minute uh, announcements and <clears throat> things I need to put in the bulletin. So, wow, we got uh, good. How up for playing comfort, comfort, be my people, would you be like in a few minutes? You can do it. All right. That's what I love to hear. See, Julie's a team player. Jennifer, uh, <laughs> Julie's a team player. Goodness. All right, let me, uh, first of all, let me open some prayer because I need it <clears throat> if nobody else does, and uh, then we'll get going. Our gracious God, we are thankful, dear Lord, for uh, this Lord's Day. We're grateful to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we're thankful for our time uh, and uh, the privilege of being able to study uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we pray that you would please guide us uh, as we study your word, as we consider this portion of it. Please, Lord, grow us in our faith. Encourage us, Lord. Build us up, grow us together uh, in unity, uh, and encourage us, Lord, to walk in obedience, serving you and serving one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are uh, at Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, I believe it is. And the attempt this morning is to cover verses 5 to 25. So we're going to take large... Large swaths of scripture. Um, my goal is, um, and as I'm thinking about it, kind of refining my thinking on it, my goal is to um, we'll go through the end of February, hopefully stop around Luke 12-ish, somewhere around there, about halfway through the book, um, and then pick back up in the fall with Luke 13. That's kind of the, that's my tentative plan now. Um, and and then our session, and along with the those helping us out with Sunday school will work on a, uh, a different class to kind of do from March to, to May um, and then go on a summer break. Um, but uh, so just kind of just keep that in the back of your mind. That won't be a concern for us for many weeks, um, but we'll be here for the, next, for the foreseeable future. But let me read to you uh, now from Luke 1, verses 5 to 25. <clears throat> In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord. Sorry, I lost my uh, temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn away, uh, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. All right, so how many of you have heard of... Uh, this uh, this thing called the intertestamental period, and if you have uh, somebody, tell me what it means. What's the intertestamental period? Yeah, Julie. Four hundred years of silence. You did you look at my notes? Because uh, that's almost exactly what I have in my <laughs> yeah four hundred years of silence, right? And so, okay, elaborate for us. Right. Okay. And so, yeah. So no prophets until Jesus came. Who then is the last prophet before Jesus? Sterling. Thank you. All right. So, so yeah. And and there are a lot of uh, reasons why we can say that with great confidence. And I appreciate the confidence with which you said that. Um, Would somebody, now this, this is where I told you last week, I'm going to, I want to get you involved, right? Um, uh, number one, because my notes today are kind of thin. <laughs> and, uh, but number two, because you know we need to be thinking through this together. We're going to learn a little bit about how to interpret Scripture together. And so I want somebody to turn in your Bibles to Malachi 4 and read it for us. And read it, read it loud and proud um, so everybody can hear. Malachi 4, the whole chapter. It's very brief. It's maybe seven or eight verses, something like that. Um, but read it for us, please. And just let me know who it is who's volunteered. Uh, Josh, thank you. For behold day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. All right, thank you, Josh. So did you hear that there's the last verse, last two verses, five and six of Malachi four, Luke quotes those almost verbatim. In fact, from the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the Septuagint, um, it's, it's almost a word for word. He just lifted them right out of Malachi, sticks them in his gospel, applies them to John, um, tells, <clears throat> tells Zechariah, You're, the son that I'm going to give you is that guy that's mentioned in Malachi. Now, Zechariah, what do we know about Zechariah? What do we know? Um, you look like you're about to say something. <laughs> no. What do we know about Zechariah? He's a priest. Probably not the high priest, but he's one of the chief priests. Um, what, what division is he of? 
Abijah, one of the one of the sons. I've got it in my notes. I had to look. So he's he's a son of Eleazar. Abijah, Abijah was Eleazar is one of two priestly sons of Aaron. Aaron had four sons. Two died. Eleazar and the other is Ithamar. Um, and so uh, Eleazar had sixteen sons. And Ithamar had eight sons, and so between them, they divided their, their sons up into basically 24 divisions. And those, <clears throat> those divisions would take turns um, serving in the, the temple because there were morning and evening sacrifices every day of the year. And then, of course, there were these high, the high feast days also, like the Day of Atonement, which we'll get into this in a minute. I, I'll get into it in a minute, but there's reason to believe that Zechariah is serving... Around, this period in which Zechariah serves is around the Day of Atonement, which would fall roughly in uh, toward the end of September, early October. All right, so Zechariah receives this word. He also he might have been serving in the spring. It's possible he's serving in, in the March, April time frame. But there's reason to believe it was probably later in the year. And he draws a lot. And the lot, or the lots, are, lots are cast, I guess, and the lot falls on him, and he gets to be the one who goes into the the, the holy place, not the most holy place. That's the only, only the high priest can go there, but he gets to go into the holy place and 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 light the incense for the sacrifice. So this is a uh, as um, I think it's F. F. Bruce who writes. This is is basically. Um, well, okay, I'll just quote it from you. In offering the incense, Zechariah is performing the greatest mis- ministry of his priestly career. Only once in his life would a priest receive the special honor of offering incense in the holy place as part of the preparation for the sacrificial offering. And that is because there were about 18,000 priests that, that made up this 24-division uh, order of priests. And so you do the math and... and you know, you're not going to get, you know, you, you'll serve in the temple, obviously, twice a year, but you're not going to get an opportunity to, to for, the, for, the, for a chief priest or, you know, a regular priest, the highest um, duty that they could be called to would be the, the burning of the incense. Because only the chief priest goes into the most holy place, you know, the holy of holies. This is the holy place that's outside the most holy place. And, and so for the, the more regular priests, this is it, and it's the highest thing. And, and so it's on this very auspicious day for Zechariah that this very uh, amazing thing happens to him. Now, um, Bruce also writes this, that John's place in the Gospels and in Acts is due to the part that he played as Jesus' forerunner. But his ministry made a deep, if short-lived, impression in its own right among many of the Palestinian Jews. His ministry was distinctively a prophetic ministry. And so several of you were you know, the last Old Testament prophet before Jesus. It was kind of a trick. I was hoping somebody would blurt out Malachi. Um, but no, it's John the Baptist. He's, he's the last one. Um, and he is distinctively Old Testament. Um, he's fire and brimstone. He's brood of vipers. Repent um, and be baptized. Um, that's, that's John the Baptist. He is, he is very much Old Testament. He does it, but, but he's not a prophet in the sense that he's being given new revelation that he, that he foretells to the people. Um, he, in, in a sense, his message is one that's very, very old. Um, repent, <laughs> for the time is here. 
And, and he serves specifically in this very, I mean, it is a unique role. Unlike any of the other prophets, his role is to serve as this forerunner to Christ. And so um, with that in mind, I want you to turn to Isaiah 40. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to ask, um, I was hoping, <laughs> I didn't want to ask you, Julie, in front of everybody, because you kind of were put on the spot and you couldn't say no. Um, actually, that was my plan. Uh, it was to prevent you from being able to say no way. Um, but if we turn to Isaiah 40, um, would somebody please read Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5? Who's got their Bible ready and can read Isaiah 40, 1 to 5? Read it really loud and clearly. Oh, sorry, Monica, go ahead. So, you know, we, we live in a, in a society, in a time, an era in which people crave to be in the spotlight, right? I mean, uh, crave attention, crave fame, like the highest, greatest good in, in the eyes of many is, is to be known. Um, and, 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 and quite honestly, I think it's contributed to a lot of the psychosis that we're dealing with. I mean... You know, sadly, I mean, tragically, people, they take this to their grave by doing some kind of heinous act that will cause them to be remembered, you know, for, for generations down. And they think that, that that's the greatest, highest good. Why is John the Baptist remembered? Why do we know his name today? Forward of Jesus Christ. Yeah, what does that mean? Unpack that, Eric. My favorite phrase. Un- unpack that for us. What does it mean to be the forerunner of Jesus? What did he, did he just run ahead of? Did he he just chronologically was in front of Jesus, or what, what does it mean? Said long ago, he's like the, the last Old Testament prophet. Mm-hmm. He was a Elijah radical yeah. guy, you know, dressed in what she uh, not, what kind of camel? Yeah, camel hair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's garments. by any, any standards a wild yeah. man, and, you know, and just <clears throat> living in the desert eating. Uh, uh, Locusts and honey. In, yeah. in some countries, that may be actually a luxury. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's another thought. Mm-hmm. That, that's my yeah. Thank you. So you did a good job of that. Steve, you were raising your hand up. Yeah, I was going to say he came to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. Yeah. So he, he is he's the herald. He is the immediately preceding herald of the king. Right, and and so, and he immediately precedes the birth of the king by how many months? Six months, right? Okay, so, all right, so here's a little. Uh, Addie, you were raising your hand. Um, I see that you talked about the crazy thing and the mm-hmm. John the Baptist did. He went out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah. and set up shop, and everyone came to yep. him. He didn't yep. run into middle Jerusalem. Go, hey, everyone! Yeah. He just set up out there, and God was like, "I'll just bring you." That's it. Yeah, that's exactly. And, and people are coming to him to hear this message of the wrath of God is coming upon you. Repent. 
I mean, which is remarkable when you think about it. Like, his message is not a popular message. Um, it was a 400-year gap. Yes. Yeah, 400-year gap. Yeah, and, and so he, yeah, his job is to point not to himself, but away from, from himself to the one who is coming. Um, and, and when you think about that, it, it's remarkable. His, his entire job is, is really to live in, in, in obscurity and point to the one who's coming after him, who, whose sandals he is unworthy to untie. That's, it, that's his whole job. That's all he's called to. Now think about this for a moment, that, that in, in many ways, that, that's the role of, of the Holy Spirit in the, in the, in the economical trinity, in, in terms of what each person of the trinity, the role that each person of the trinity is to carry out in the, uh, in the history of redemption, the Holy Spirit's role is not to call attention to himself, but to point to Christ, to shine the spotlight on Christ. Um, and so the, the acts of the apostles are really the acts of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this last week. Luke could be described as the acts of Jesus. Uh, the acts that we call the acts of the apostles uh, could be called the acts of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is, is really, aside from, from what we see of his, his very very um, uh, uh, blatant uh, open activity in, in Acts chapter 2, um, the Holy Spirit, he is very much in the background, but extraordinarily operative nonetheless. Like He's, he's very active. And, and so, and that, that's really... Um, that's the role, especially, I think, that ministers of the Word ought to have, that our primary goal is not to call attention to ourselves, but to point to Jesus Christ. I, I, I sought to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That, that really is the role. And so the, the idea of celebrity pastors ought to be almost, if not completely, um, antithetical to the church, and and I think we, I was going to say it's 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 a relatively recent phenomenon, but it's not. It's really not. I mean, it's been going on for you know four or five hundred years or more. Where um, you know the big name guys, we we flock to we flock to hear them, right? <laughs> kind of in a sense. Even, I mean, John the Baptist, people are flocking to him in a sense. But but he's also, now, Addy, I'll contradict a little bit of what you said, um, but not not like in a real harsh way. He does choose apparently a major. Uh, crossing of the Jordan River from the west of the Jordan to the east, and so it was. It is in the it is in the wilderness. It's in the desert, to be sure. He didn't pick the big city, Jerusalem. Uh, he wasn't out on the street corner preaching, but but he does. He, he's strategic in that he's he's got to reach people with his message. So yeah, Tim, you're raising your hand. Excuse me, I was just saying that's all of our roles. Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you. You completed my thought. I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right, it is. It's not, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about the Lord. And, um, you know, yeah, we're, we're individuals, all we, all we know is, is what we know. Um, we're, not, we're, not, we're not to be absorbed into the cosmos like Eastern, Eastern mystic, mystical religions want us to do. Um, we, we have that individuality, and yet it's really not all about us. Ultimately, it, it's about Christ. Um, and and so that's that's yeah I was I, I got sidetracked in my own thinking but I appreciate you completing my thought Tim because that was what I was going to try to say it's the role of ministers it's the role of all Christians that we that we we are to live lives in such a way that people go what what is up with you <laughs> and why do you not act like everybody else um, and and it and it then it you know gives us that opportunity to speak um, 
All right, Julie, would you... Okay, so get your hymnals. Turn to 197. We're going to sing... Um, it's one of my favorite Christmas hymns. Um, and, and hopefully, if we sing... I don't know if... I haven't picked hymns for later in the, in the, uh, the season here, but if we sing it, hopefully, 197, Comfort, Comfort You, My People. If we sing it, maybe it'll have a little more meaning to you. You might have, might have sung it in the past and gone, I don't really know what this is all about. But it's, 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 it's about the coming of Christ. It's about the coming of the kingdom. It's about, it's about the forerunner of Jesus uh, who, is, who is going out and he's made it, making the pathways plain. He, he's flattening the terrain so that people can more easily access the Savior. So let's um, you can stay seated. We'll sing all four verses of 197. I did not warn her <laughs> that that was coming. <laughs> um, all right, so nothing like a little bit of singing first thing in the morning. Um, 
so let me just, I got, I got, I jumped all around in my notes, which I guess is either a good thing or a bad thing. Um, um, looking at, at the passage, um, so we're in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. We have this priest named Zechariah. He's of the division of Abijah. He's got a wife from the, one of the daughters of Aaron. So Aaron had four sons. I don't remember how many uh, daughters he has, but Elizabeth is a descendant of one of those daughters. And so they're both from the priestly house of Aaron. Um, you know, this is, we're talking, what, 2,000 years later, give or take. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I don't think we have to worry about, you know, the, 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 the degrees of consanguinity here um, that are uh, prohibited by our confession. <laughs> um, but uh, so they're, they're of the same house. Um, kind of like, you know, there's speculation that both Joseph and Mary were of the house of David. You, you, don't, you don't have it explicitly stated, and yet... The genealogies suggest, the genealogies of Matthew and, and Luke, they're different enough that su- they suggest that perhaps Matthew is, is giving us, I believe it's uh, Joseph's genealogy, uh, Luke is giving Mary's. There are other insights in Luke, and we mentioned this last week, uh, insights that Luke alone seems to have about the inner thinking, the inner workings of Mary's uh, uh, thought life, uh, which suggests that perhaps he interviewed her, and so perhaps he uh, got from her um, her own genealogy. Um, so... Um, but at any rate, um, there's, a, there's a similarity. It's, there's a parallel, I guess you would say, um, that, that if, if the speculation about Joseph and Mary is correct, that they're descendants of the house of Judah, the house of David, um, uh, that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are descendants of the house of, of Aaron. And uh, they are childless. They're advanced in age. Um, Elizabeth is described as barren. Now, what... Does that sound like? <laughs> um, what does it remind you of? Yeah, Sterling. Yeah, Abraham, Sarah. Yeah, who else? Who? who uh, Hannah. Yeah, Hannah with with Samuel. Rachel, Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca, Rachel. Yeah. So there, there are all these Old Testament um, predecessors or precedents, I guess you would say, um, to this condition, um, which again, it's it's you know we can appreciate the. I think the poetry of this, while not denying the historicity of it, right? I mean, this is the way that God sets this up is amazing. You have you have two people for whom it is impossible to have children, and they've given up on it. They've given up, given up on it so much, and perhaps maybe are you know, I mean, Zechariah, perhaps maybe is a little embittered about it, right? Because he he doubts the Lord. We doubt Gabriel, um, and and is. And he suffers some consequences from you. Okay, you're going to doubt me, then you're not going to be allowed to speak. You're going to doubt the Lord, you're not going to be allowed to speak until this baby is born for nine months. Um, but, uh, so you just have to imagine that, that for them, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Sarah who laughs when she's told, uh, because she just can't believe it. Um, she's way beyond the age of, of bearing children. And and so apparently for Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, it's the same the same kind of thing. It's just can't believe that this is possible. And so the, the, this, this angel, Gabriel, um, what is the description of Gabriel, the, the little bit that we have about him, um, what, what do we learn about um, this angelic being? Thinking about verse 19 and following, um, do we, you know, are we thinking about, what is it, the precious moments, angels? Um, I mean, is, this, is that reality? I don't think so. How many of you have read um, any of Madeline Lengel's books, Wrinkle in Time and Following? Um, oh, yeah. Read the description of the angels that are in the... I mean, now again, it's, it's a work of fantasy, but 
The, it's, and I don't remember it super well. It's been probably a decade since I read them. But, uh, so we're not talking an accurate, necessarily an accurate description of angelic beings here. But I believe that um, uh, our typical mental version of angels is probably way, way off. And, and, and Lingle may have a better idea. <laughs> she may have described them better than we typically do. These are, these are they are fantastic beings um, and, and frightening. And, and, and Zechariah, is, he is, uh, uh, he's very afraid, sore afraid um, because of what he sees. Now, he should have been more afraid and, and not you know, questioned what the angel was telling him. But, but they are, I mean, Gabriel is a warrior um, angel. He, he is no, no being to be trifled with. And he stands, as he says in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> um, so you, you're going to be afraid um, if, you're ever, if you ever have an encounter with Gabriel or, or any other angelic being. It's not to say that they're all the same. You get the description and revelation of all types of different angelic beings. Some that have six wings, others that have many eyes and, and all these things. So um, but Gabriel is not an angel to be uh, trifled with, not an angel to, to sort of joke about. Um, he's described as an archangel, you know, sort of church, uh, church understanding. He's, he's one of the high, the high angels, one of the chief angels. Um, who knows? It could have contended with Satan when Satan was, uh, was trying to usurp the power and authority of, of, of God. Um, so um, just, just, you know, dispel, you know, seek to dispel your probably uh, limited understanding of, of what angelic beings are like. Um, uh but yeah, this this is this is the exact situation that God likes to set up when He's about to do something remarkable. Uh, this situation is, is set up in such a way that the only way it could possibly happen is by the Lord's hand. Um, and and as the forerunner to the coming of the King, the herald of the King, His the way that He comes about, while not any sort of immaculate conception. Um, it has to be different and remarkable. Um, so, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are described, uh, let's see, I'm trying to make sure I find the right, oh, in verse 6 we read, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Um, I think sometimes we read this, and you know, we just went through uh, a class on justification. Um, we read that, and we go, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute now." Romans three. What? What? Are we, you know, no one is righteous. No, not one. How can Luke? Luke was he was, you know, he's described in in uh, in Colossians and Philemon. He's described as a close co-worker of Paul's. Luke knows what Paul believes about human righteousness. How can Luke say this about Elizabeth and Zechariah? What does he mean? How do we understand it? How are they righteous? Well, they trusted the righteousness of God. They trusted the righteousness of God. Yeah, I, yes. So, they're, so kind of like Abraham, they, they believed and their, their faith was counted as righteousness. And I, I agree with you. I think we can understand it a little more fully than that. Or a little more... Um, uh, so yeah, with, we're not, so let's, let's for a second not think in terms of justification. All right? Um, we are called, we're, we're, we're declared to be righteous. That's justification. The imputed righteousness of Christ to us. But we are also called to be holy. We, we are called to live life um, 
in a, in a way that is consistent with Scripture, what it teaches. Um, and not independent of our justification, but that's our sanctification, right? We're, we're to... We're to, live, we're to walk in a way, in a manner that is, that is worthy of our calling, to quote Paul. Um, and so I think we could say of, yes, Zechariah and Elizabeth had, they had faith in the promised one who was to come. And at this point, they don't know that they're, they're going to be alive when the promised one comes. They don't, they don't know at this point when they're receiving this, this good news. I mean, they're... they're um, because Gabriel doesn't fill in all of the details about what their son is going to do, who he truly is. Just that hint. Now they probably they knew they knew Malachi. They're like, okay, what's going on here? But but prior to that, they don't they don't really know what the role of their son is going to be, and they're probably still a little foggy on all the details. Um, but they are, I would say, they're they're godly, pious people. Like they believe in the promise. And as a result of that belief, they are bearing the fruit of faith. They're, they're, they're righteous. Um, not in a, not in a this, is, this determines your standing before the Lord. Not in a covenant faithfulness, and if you're not faithful enough, you'll be cast out of the covenant. Not anything like that. But they are, they are, they are pious and godly people in the best understanding of the word. Um, a, a piety to which we're all called. Um, yeah, Addie. Yeah, God said they were righteous for God, and the minute after ordained, go, really, God? <laughs> You're right. Both of them right out, and Joe yeah. like, you no, know, you can't do this. Yeah. So, yeah, they're righteous, yeah. but also very much sinners. Yeah. And, and, and really, you know, their, their reaction of Zechariah, when we get to Mary and her reaction, it's very different. I mean, Mary, you know, Mary is described in such a way, I mean, she's a, um, she's what, the favored one of the Lord, um, but she is, she's this, I mean, she's a girl, folks she's like 14 at the at the most we'll get to that in a couple weeks but she is young but she she demonstrates her faith and that she does a question whereas whereas Zechariah we don't we don't hear about Zechariah this pre a priest of the temple is kind of you know he's sort of like ain't no way this can't be happening this is not possible and um and Gabriel shuts him down so um they 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 are they're pious they they are they in the best sense of the word, they're making use of the system that the Lord has given to them. And in that day, it was the ceremonial sacrificial system. They are, they are, they are obedient to the ceremonial law. And in that way, they are, they are showing their, their faith, their piety. Yeah, Shelley. Isn't it just given to them by God? I mean, it's just oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a gift. Yeah, their faith. Yeah. And so he declares yeah. Right. Yeah, he declares them righteous. He's making them righteous, and yet, you know, we, we don't. We are we are called to participate in our sanctification. Like we're, we're not just passive. Um, we're 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 not automatons. How many of you? How many of you guys have seen the movie Hugo? Um, okay, Addy. It's a, it's a great movie. It's it's actually a, it's a good. It's kind of a kids movie. It's a great movie. But there's this. There's a there's an automaton and it features very prominently in the movie. And an automaton was like a mechanical, looks like a robot, but it's like a 18th, 19th century version of a robot. It's all clockwork, and and these things were real, um, and and they would do things. You could you could basically by putting particular gears in there and mechanisms, you could make them write things on paper, and and things like that. And 
um, we, are, we are not that. We're not simply programmed and, and brainless, mindless, um, uh, mechanical beings. We have wills. And, and so, yeah, we, our wills have been renewed. We've, or I guess we said we've been given new wills, not simply they've been kind of refurbished. We've been given new wills. Um, and we are, we are called to walk in obedience. And so there's that, that yes, we've been declared. The Holy Spirit has enabled us. Um, he is sanctifying us, and yet we are we're participants. We're not we're not unwilling um, we're not unwilling to do this. It's not just happening to us against our will. We're being sanctified, and we're actually participants in it. We 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 are we're working alongside the Holy Spirit, though He is the primary agent of our sanctification. Comes to mind too, and then again underscore here daughters of Aaron. I mean, that's going back. So there's a sovereignty. Yeah. But 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 interestingly, the house of Eleazar, Eleazar's, um, yeah, um, they and Abijah, they were not all that great. I mean, some of them were. I mean, it wasn't. It's it's not just. It's not just genetics or genealogy that gets you in, right? There, There are a bunch of priests that were really terrible. And, and from that particular line, there were some that were really bad. I think Eli and his sons, if I remember correctly, and don't, don't totally quote me on this, don't burn me at the stake as a heretic, but I believe they were, of the house, they were from that division, they were from Eleazar. And, um, and so there were really some not pious, ungodly priests or descendants from that line. So there's no guarantee, certainly no guarantee. Um, uh, but it, it's it just, these two, they believed but they also, they also bore the fruit of belief, of true faith. Yeah, Josh. Well, you mentioned the sacrificial system. Right? Mm-hmm. When they sin, they bring a sacrifice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm 99.9% sure that that must have been part of yes. their life. Yes, right? yeah. Because it's not that they're sinless. Mm-hmm. There's a system in place mm-hmm. for atonement to be made for their sin. And in this case, it's an animal sacrifice that points to yes. sacrifice. Yeah. And they believed in that. Yeah. So they don't have to be sinless. They yes. just have to repent yeah. and be forgiven. Yeah. It was just remarkable because, yeah, righteousness, sinless righteousness. Well, that's, that's I, yes, we will get there in the next life. But, yeah, righteousness in this life simply means that we sin, we repent. We believe, you know, that's, that's just, you know, that that's, I mean, and that's true of you and me too. It's, it, you, in other words, as a Christian, you don't just, you don't just repent that one time at the, at the moment of conversion, at that moment of when you realize, oh, I'm a sinner and I need grace I need Jesus Christ. And I, and you're, you consciously believe in him for the first time. It's our, our lives are lives of repentance and faith. And so it's, you know, this, this is just a, it's a regular part of our, it's a regular component of our life as, as Christians. And that's, that's really, so we don't want to read more into this righteousness that they have than there, than there is. But we also don't want to denigrate it and say, well, they were just, yeah, they were sinners like the rest of them. But God, he just reckoned, reckoned them as righteous and they, and they got to do whatever. No, they were, they were devout, they were devout believers. They were pre-New Testament Christians. Um, I think that's the way we need to understand it. And they, and they desired to live a life that was consistent with that faith. Um, okay, so, make sure I'm not skipping anything. All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit about this whole idea of if, okay, recognizing that there has to be a little bit of speculation, and, and we know how dangerous speculation may be, but I think this is kind of harmless, um, I think. Um, you, y'all tell me later if it's not. So if... 
if Zechariah is serving in the temple at the end of September, beginning of October, Mary comes to visit Elizabeth when she is six months pregnant. When does that place that visit? March, the third month, right? So Mary comes to visit Elizabeth right after she has, the Holy Spirit has conceived within her the Lord, Jesus Christ. If that is correct, you know, again, it's some speculation here, but there's at least a little bit of reason to think it might be correct. And there are a lot of people who've studied this in great detail. I was reading some of them, it's just kind of fascinating. That would put the birth of Jesus somewhere around December 24th, 25th, somewhere around there. Uh, we don't have to be hardcore like the Roman Catholics are and say, absolutely, he was, he was born at midnight on, you know, 1201 on December 25th. We don't have to be, but, you know, I, I've, over the years I've heard people say, this is a total made up thing. And it's just, it was just the Catholic Church's attempt to, to cover over this pagan uh, celebration. And so they just, they simply, they just picked a date that happened. But it, the Saturnalia happens earlier in December. Um, so I guess you could argue that, but just reading some stuff recently, it's like the, the the date of the date of Christmas was settled upon far far earlier than Saturnalia was being observed, and um, so we we don't have to get quite if if we're if we if we're prone to getting uptight about um, the date of Christ's birth and. You know, there's no way it could have happened in December. I don't know. I'm not sure that anybody here is like. You can at least. You don't have to be too upset about it. It's there's a decent chance it happened around that date, and so um, it was. You know, even Turretin in his commentary, he's like, you know, okay, we don't know for sure, but if people want to celebrate Christmas, don't. Or his his, his uh, Institutes of Olympic the- uh, Theology, not um, not his commentary, but he, he if people want to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. You don't have to beat him over the head about it. It's okay. <laughs> That's a rough paraphrase of what of what Turretin says in his uh, his institutes. So um, it's it's plausible, and no, it's not known with certainty. But it's you know there's something. It's it was probably either in the uh, I don't remember the, the Jewish name for the month. It was probably in the around the Day of Atonement, which would have been September October or earlier in in the year, like in the spring, March, April, that um, that John the Baptist was was conceived. And so, um, you know, so otherwise, yeah, then that would put the date of Christ's birth way off. But we have, there's enough information that Luke gives to say, okay, we have a pretty reasonable um, guesstimation of when Jesus was born. Um, all right. Uh, okay, a couple quick questions. This is the... Uh, the uh, the quick round here. Um, how does John's ministry parallel Elijah's? According to the text, how does John's ministry parallel Elijah's? In what ways is John's ministry similar to Elijah's? According to the text, just kind of getting back to this passage. Uh, uh, well, see, yeah, that's a good question. You just look at the look at the. Yep, but I'm looking at two specific words. There are two specific ways that the text tells us that John, John's, John's ministry paralleled Elijah's. It, not quite. Are you quoting Malachi now? <laughs> yeah, out of Luke. It's uh, in, in, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, what you're saying, I think, Eric, is the, is the specific ways in which, but in general speaking, he, he, 
he parallels Elijah. He he is Elijah in the sense that he 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 comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And yes, repent. He's making straight. He's you know Elijah didn't mince words. Um, he he spoke the truth and and spoke it very strongly. Um, why? Okay, we've touched on this a little bit, but maybe some elaboration might be needed. Um, why does Gabriel cause Zechariah to be mute? Is, is unbelief, is disbelief. He's, he's, sort of, he's just incredulous. Um, it, it seems harsh, though. Is that fair? <laughs> I mean, I think any one of us in this room would probably do something similar. Why, how does, I mean, why does Gabriel get to get away with that? Yeah. I almost feel like it's so he doesn't discourage Elizabeth because Elizabeth is very excited. She believes immediately. I almost mm-hmm. feel like God doesn't want Zechariah to run his mouth and, mm-hmm. like, discrediting yeah. what's happening because I feel like mm-hmm. he probably would. Right, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say because uh, then again, he might run around and, uh, of course, he, so, you know, Elizabeth would be the one of the two who would know much more, much sooner of her own pregnancy, right? I mean, you know, within four weeks, give or take. Um, she kept it quiet. That was going to be my next question. Why do you think she kept it quiet for five months? Why did she hide the fact that she conceived? For them? Basically, until she couldn't hide it any longer. Yeah, um, Abigail. It might be that. Um, this is the commentary that I'm using, my primary commentary, he lists four options, which I cannot remember. And one of those, what you said is one of those options that she, she, she didn't, you know, she was afraid that people would think she's crazy, especially in those early months, until she had the, the proof of the belly, um, the bun in the oven. Yeah, Julie. Well, it's like the embarrassment, too. Um, you know, we're this old. Yeah, right. And, and now we're having a baby. Yeah. But there's, I mean, even, you know, Sarah laughed. Right. I think there's a, because it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I can remember when Elizabeth was in early grades of elementary school and going, and there was this older... This older man who would be at the school every day. We got to drop our man there, every, and he was he was old looking. I was like, "That's got to be some kid's grandfather." Well, isn't that cool? A grandfather's dropping him off, and now I realize I'm that guy. Like, <laughs> I'm the guy that the younger parents are looking at and going, "Wow, who is that grandfather dropping off his? Isn't that sweet?" Um, so yeah, it's it is a little bit daunting to think about you know, at old age that you know people are you know it's like, and I'm not that old. You know, I'm not as I'm not as old probably as Zechariah was. So. Um, yeah. I was thinking too of uh, Zacharias, the term dumb. Right, yeah, yeah. He was struck, he was struck he dumb. He was struck dumb, yeah. And of course, that's kind of a term we still use, deaf and dumb. Mm-hmm. And so, how dumb was it to, to question an angel, Gabriel? Right. And I think that's uh, probably the resulting in him mm-hmm. being, you know, yeah, I I, can, I tend to believe that it's probably a whole bunch of reasons, as yeah. some that already been mentioned. But I think too, and I got to wrap this up because we're um, um, we're past the hour here. Um, but I I think that there's a parallel between Elizabeth's reaction and Mary's, and Mary um, and I don't remember what where it is exactly um, right now off the top of my head. But you know, there's talk, and this is one of those insights that Luke has the the mental workings of Mary that she 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 took all these things and she held them in her heart, she pondered them. And I, and I wonder, and, and you know, not just me, the commentators also kind of speculate, that this, this is probably partly what, that, that, that Elizabeth was holding, the, this was hers, hers and Zechariah, he couldn't talk, so um, it's, it's something that she is going to cherish for those months before 
anybody else is really able to know. She's going she's gonna to hold those things dear. She's going to ponder them. She's going to wonder over them and marvel about things that only she really knows because she can, you know, you know after that, what is it, around the first trimester or so, you start to feel the baby moving. And, and so she's, I, I think it's a lot, I think it's probably the fear of embarrassment. It's, 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 but it's probably too, she just, this is something that's so precious to her and she knows she'll probably never experience again. And she's, and she's, she's marking that, that event by five months of just keeping it all to herself. Um, and, and in some way, you know, so she's, she's holding these things. Um, she's making sure she's going to remember these things. She's going to remember that first time she felt the little, the little butterfly movement in her, in her belly. And, um, I think there's some of it too. She doesn't want to forget. And she, and this is, this is her and, you know, Zechariah's, I wouldn't be surprised if she talked to him about it. Um, hopefully she did, but, um, yeah, I think there's, she's, she recognizes this is such a special thing that she'll never get to experience again. And she doesn't want to forget. All right. Well, thank you all. Um, let me, let's see. Yeah, let me close this in prayer.